We're looking at Matthew chapter 6 and starting in verse 5. Matthew writes, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This prayer that Jesus gives us isn't some magical prayer. Uh, many churches around the world repeat this some every Sunday. Um, and it can be kind of done in a routine way without much real thought about what, what's here. And that really wasn't the purpose of this prayer. Um, we have this recorded in, in Luke, too, and his is a little bit shorter, but it basically says the same thing. Um, for example, when Jesus says to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Luke only records thy kingdom come. But he doesn't really need to say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Matthew uses kind of a Hebrew poetry phraseology where he's basically repeating two things, thy kingdom come, well, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the same as the kingdom come. When, when the king's there, his will is there, if the king really has all of the control. This is, this is more of an outline of how we should go about praying. It's, these are the types of things and ways that you should pray. But the words here are very important. And I, I'm not going to go through the whole prayer because... It would, it would take too long, but I'm, I'm just going to go through the beginning of it. Just take the word hour and all the connotations that that includes. I mean, when you, when you look up a definition of hour, it says belonging to or associated with the speaker and one or more other people previously mentioned or easily identified. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's more than one person. 
Obviously, when we enter into prayer, we're entering into prayer with the Father, and that's one other person, but it's much more than that. It's a statement of our community. When we enter into prayer, we're entering into it with other people, too, with other believers. And we may be in a, a prayer group like on Wednesday morning, or you may be all by yourself. That pastor in North Korea who's been put in a little tiny 4 by 4 cell and locked up for spreading his faith, when he gets down on his knees and prays, he's not alone. He's praying with the community of believers, with us too. Many of the prayers that he's praying are the same prayers that we are praying too. He's probably praying for the leadership of his country. He's probably praying for other Christians around the world. He's praying that the gospel would, would go out into the world. These are the same prayers that we're praying too. When we say our Father, we're not praying alone. We're praying together with other believers also. Um, I spent a lot of time in the 80s in communist countries. I was able as a Christian with a group of other Christians because we were athletes. Uh, we had a wrestling team and we were invited by the Polish national team, the Czechoslovakia national team, some others, and we were able to go into countries. And there were Christians there at that time. And we were able to have Bible studies with them, smuggle Bibles in for them. And uh, it was a very interesting thing to find out that my first time there, that these Christians had been praying for us as Americans. And uh, I thought, you know, why are you praying for us? And he says, because things are so dangerous for you. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you, you have freedoms and you have wealth and the chance of this ease can cause you to relax and, and not be strong in your faith. And here I'm thinking I should be praying for you because us just meeting like this, he could eventually be thrown in prison for it. And it made me realize that there, it was kind of the first time I really realized that there are other believers around the world actually praying for me. Maybe not me specifically, but these guys were praying for the church in America to stay strong because they needed it to help them to stay strong too. We're together. When we pray, our Father, it's not just us sitting in this room. It's a whole body of believers throughout the whole world. Father, this is, this is who we are praying to. When we say our Father, we're acknowledging several different things. One of them is that we have been adopted. He is our Father. When we were unbelievers, when we were walking in sin, he was not our father. Jesus is quite clear. Our father was the devil. 
But when we have been given that grace to believe that Jesus really died for our sins, he becomes our father. And it happens by virtue of adoption. Um, it, 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 when you really think about it, it's a really amazing thing. We are adopted into a family, and it's a, it's a grand family. Our family includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the apostles, Jesus, Riley, Lloyd, people here. I mean, you can go on and on and on. It is an immense family that we have. When you have a big family and a strong family, that gives you a lot of strength too. But it comes through adoption. And that adoption is made possible by the work of Jesus. In adoption, there's a choice that's made. The adults choose to adopt the child. The child doesn't choose the parents to adopt them. Jessica didn't choose us. We chose Jessica. We have kind of a joke in the family because Cindy's adopted, Jessica's adopted, my sister was adopted, um, but a joke came out a while ago and we all thought it was really funny and we, we throw it around now and then and it's this, this boy, he, he says to his mom, he's about eight years old, and he says, Mom, was I adopted? And the mother looks straight at him and says, what makes you think we would choose you? <laughs> we have been chosen. That's an amazing thing. Our Father chose each and every one of us and adopted each and every one of us. Paul says in Romans, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of, of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. John says, But as many as received him, being Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We are those who believe in his name. We are given the right to be children of God, and he has adopted us. He has chosen us. Our Father, who is in heaven, hard to get your mind around heaven sometimes. John writes, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. 
Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and pearls of peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. That's the record of John, of what he sees in heaven. He looks around, and he can't even hardly come up with the words to describe what he's seeing. The closest he can find are things like precious jewels and crystal and rainbow and unimaginable creatures. Heaven is truly an otherworldly place. It's something so different from our world that the apostle himself struggled to describe it. But John does describe a couple things that we can't understand. One of them is that there is a throne in heaven. And our Father, the Lord God, sits on this throne. What's this tell us? It tells us he's a ruler. All who are in heaven are bowing down before him, giving him glory and honor. And he's a ruler that deserves that glory and that honor. The second is that he's a creator. All the creatures in heaven acknowledge that they owe their existence in, in completeness to the Lord God who created them. Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. This is just a tiny glimpse of who we're addressing in our prayers. Our Father who is in heaven. When we do, we acknowledge that God created each of us out of his own free will. He chose to create each one of us individually. And we acknowledge that we've sinned against him. And that he's given us the gift of grace 
and faith to believe that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, allowing us to be adopted by him. We acknowledge that by this adoption, we are able to call the Lord God of the universe, Father. We acknowledge that there are many, many others just like us that have been adopted by our Father. And that we are in a great family of faith and that we are not alone, no matter how much at times we feel that we are alone. He goes on, hallowed be thy name. Before I deal with what it really means to be hallowed, I'd like to look at some of the aspects of, of names. Names are, names are important. Some cultures put more emphasis on names than others. Um, there's, there's the old joke where the, the Indian boy says to his, his father, Father, well, where do we get these names? I mean, there's Uncle Running Bear and, and uh, your name's Soaring Eagle. I mean, well, where, do, where do these names come from? And the father tells the son, he says, well, when the mother gives birth in the teepee, the father's there to watch. And when the father walks outside, the first thing that he sees, that's what he names the child. Do you understand squirrel falling out of the tree? <laughs> some cultures put more emphasis on names. Some, some pick names because they sound cool. Some pick names because they're named after a, a respected person. In the Jewish culture, names are very important and they tend to reflect the character of the person. You remember Jacob? His name means heel catcher and trickster. If you remember, he's the twin brother of Esau. Esau pops out of mom first, but there's Jacob literally hanging on to the heel of his brother as he came out of the womb. Heel catcher. Later in life, he tricks his brother into selling him his birthright. Later on, he tricks his own father into believing that he is the older son, Esau, and he receives the birthright. Trickster. Later on, Jacob has an encounter with God and wrestles with God. And God renames him and names him Israel. Israel means he who strives with God. Israel becomes the father of the nation of Israel, of the 12 tribes. Think about Simon. His name means one who hears. Now I think his mom kind of got that one wrong. He was pretty impetuous in both his actions and the things that he said. Somebody named one who hears seems like you know, they listen, they take it in, they kind of act wisely, they speak wisely. But that really wasn't Simon. 
Jesus comes along and names him Peter, the rock. And that name worked for him because Peter was like a rock. And he walked in the way of the Lord and he took the gospel to people until the day he died when he was crucified and quite probably hanging upside down, some histories say. In God's view, names are important. They, they have great importance. According to some people's count, there are some 955 names for God, different names. Um, some of them are sort of repeats because they're translations from Hebrew to Aramaic or Aramaic to, to Greek. But God is so big and so great, he needs so many names to describe his character and how he acts. Think of a few of them. El Chual, the God who gave you birth. El Elyon, the God Most High. El Olam, the Everlasting God. Elohim, the Creator. Yahweh, it means the self-existent one. The name Yahweh is used about 6,800 times in the Bible, and it is the personal covenant name of Israel for God. The, the root of the name means self-existing or one who is. This is the name when Moses was out there and he encounters God and God tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh. He says, well, who, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am, the self-existent one, Yahweh. I'm sure many of you at some point in time or another have done studies on the name of God. If not, it, it's really interesting. You can just search it in the internet, and they pop up, and you just start looking. And it shows you how, how big God is. Yahweh Shema means the Lord is there or omnipresent. Some of the names of Jesus, Christos, the anointed one, the way, the truth, and the life, the bread of life, logos, word, the word of God. One of my great favorites is Emmanuel. God is with us. You see, just at the right time, when we were living in our sin, God sent His only begotten Son into the world to take away our sin. Through Jesus, God is with us. And God has not left us alone. Though Jesus ascended into heaven to take the place of a king, to receive his coronation, to become the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he left us with something very special, a very special gift, and that's his Holy Spirit.
so that as adopted children, we are not alone. We have God with us all of the time. This is just a little bit, just the beginning of this prayer. And when you sit there and you start picking it apart and thinking about what each and every one of these words mean, you see how this is an outline and it just explodes and how you can use this in your very own prayer life. Um, I personally don't sleep well at night. And the reason I kind of came up with this was a while ago. And so I, I, I pray a lot at night, hoping that um, kind of like my preaching puts you to sleep, that my own prayers will put me to sleep. And I realized that I, I was being like the Gentiles, a bunch of repetitive words. <laughs> and so I started really looking at this because I, I knew that Jesus gave us this prayer as an outline. They said, teach us how to pray. Well, here's the teaching. Here's the outline on how to pray. And so I started going through that. And when I pray through that entire prayer, I mean, there is so much more to it. When you start getting into the petitions for ourselves, give us this day, our daily bread. It's just, there's, it's like, give us what we need, and it expands from there. The really important one, forgive us like we forgive others. Because if we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us. And so, I encourage you, if your prayer time's gotten dull, which... It does for everybody at some point in time or another. To sit down and take a look at this and start thinking about, ask God to show you what, what each of these words mean and how, how that fits into your prayer life and, and how it can expand how you pray. And the Holy Spirit will lead you in your prayers so that we're not pray, praying for what we want, but we're praying for what God desires. Because we want his kingdom to come. And ultimately, we want his will to be done.